When you know what you want for the future, you need the present to line up with your goals. UCF Online offers more than 100 fully online programs in healthcare, engineering, criminal justice, and more. So you can get to your future and beyond. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I am Tom Cavanaugh. And I am Kelvin Thompson. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Hello, Kelvin. Hello, Tom. Here we are again. Yeah, remote, uh, again, due to exigent circumstances. Mm -hmm. So for those in the listening audience wondering why you and I are remote, um, we are still closed. The university is still closed Mm -hmm. due to Hurricane Ian. Um, We're we're getting back tomorrow, thankfully, Mm -hmm. uh, as as we are recording this. But uh, devastating, devastating Mm -hmm. event for so many in Florida, Mm -hmm. from southwest Florida all the way through central uh, up to the east coast. Yeah. We've had we've had so many students impacted, hundreds and hundreds of students. I know of at least 600 undergrads that have been displaced because apartments flooded. We have at least one staff member that I know of at this point who's lost everything. Mm. Uh, house, vehicles, all their possessions. And um, I imagine we're going to hear impacts from others. So, yeah, yeah, for all of you around the country and elsewhere where you listen, please just keep everybody in Florida in your thoughts. Yeah. For the most part, uh, in you know our immediate central Florida vicinity, for those who are concerned, for the most part, it is nothing like the Southwest Florida right. devastation. Uh, much, much better. Th- but <laughs> within a couple of miles of my house, I <laughs> personally know folks who <laughs> there were cars ruined because the the on the street parking they were completely flooded. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. I know Weird. several people whose homes got flooded. They may not have lost everything, but right. they lost their carpet and possessions and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was it was quite an event. Uh, we, I've never, in all my years living in Florida, seen uh, a flood event like that in Central no. Florida where no. we were. That's right. And yeah. certainly, what happened in Fort Myers in mm. Sanibel Maples. and Captiva? Yeah. yeah, it's just absolutely, absolutely mm. heartbreaking. So, um, that's not what we're talking about today, though. (laughs) No, it's it's not. It's not. But, um, again, I mean, I know a lot of our listeners and uh, and colleagues have reached out, you know, hope you guys are okay. So, a little update and, uh, yeah, be thinking of Florida. Yeah, yeah. And thanks to, uh, people have reached out to me, too, and uh, we appreciate your concern. Yeah, for sure. So, Kelvin, uh, Mm -hmm. we cannot uh, share... Uh, from mm-hmm. the same thermos today, mm-hmm. so right. we're going to have to be a little separate. So mm-hmm. you want me to tell you what I'm drinking? You can tell me what your thematically selected coffee is. I would, I would love to hear what you're drinking, Tom. Yeah, mine's not thematically selected at all, okay. but because all right. we are here now in October, uh-huh. um, I chose something a little more autumnal. Oh, I I've see where this is going. Starbucks, um, not what you think though. It's okay. a maple pecan. Ooh, yes. I, yeah, that that you you. Is that what do they yes. do in hockey? Do they do they what are they? they I fainted juke? left and went right or yeah, something. That's right. Yes. That's right. I went, Ooh. Yeah. You, so you, you were thinking the pumpkin, pumpkin was. spice was coming. No. I was. No, I maple was. pecan. It's it's like drinking like a French toast. It's actually really good. I might I might actually imbibe uh, with that. You know, I have a I have a general um, opposition to drinking pumpkin. I think pumpkin should be chewed <laughs> and not <laughs> 
just liquefied, uh, you know, swallowed. I, I just, I, you know, pumpkin coffee, pumpkin beer. No, no I try not to. But but the <laughs> yeah. maple, the maple pecan. I mean, that, that might be all right. You know, I almost. So did that's the, interesting. You said pecan, and I said pecan. I know. I was about. To, I was. I was just about to comment. I, I I do sometimes assimilate in you know, in some settings, say pecan. Like some yeah, people well, do, you're much more of a native southerner than I am. That's right. I grew up saying pecan. pecan. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Don't get me started. I, we can get into. We can get deep into my roots, and you can hear about how I was corrected by the proper people. You know, uh, when I was growing up, and and <laughs> I'll tell you off mic what 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 young Kelvin was corrected. You know, when the more Upper crust people are like, oh yes, we have to say pecan now. You know, like, okay, oh, all right, okay, yeah, shows what I know. Mm. All right, but I'm sure you're not drinking that. No, no, uh, no maple, <laughs> no, no pecan. No. Uh, today in my cup, Tom is a single origin Columbia from Black and White Coffee Roasters in Wake Forest, North Carolina. This specific coffee is called La Muralla Geisha from the Huila region of Colombia. Huila very generally is where your best Colombian coffees come from. And while the logo of this roaster is a panda, exemplifying the high contrast black and white colors in their name, interestingly, the roasters have a rather nuanced color coding system for the labels of their various coffees. It's more complicated than I can uh, figure out. I couldn't find a real good description, but they have all these colorful labels, even though there's this black and white panda. And their motto, fittingly, is exceptional coffee kept simple. Exceptional coffee kept simple. So I thought that this particular roaster story was appropriate for today's episode topic. I'm going to tell you the coffee's good. I hope your um, dessert coffee there is, is good. And uh, what do you think of my attempt at a connection? Yeah, exceptional coffee kept simple. I'm going to mm-hmm, guess that it's mm-hmm. the crux of it is there somewhere mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. we're we're talking about um, you know, trying to have common definitions that mm-hmm. capture complexity but mm-hmm. are captured simply. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something something in there. Yes, I think I think that their motto and the black and white that high contrast simplicity versus color nuance, right? And uh, yeah. Uh, elegance is what you're shooting for always, I think, right? The easy yeah. categorization versus nuance. Yeah, absolutely. Good one. All right. So, cool. Maybe I should tell the audience how this fits into our mm-hmm. theme. Mm-hmm. 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 So, Kelvin, you recently interviewed Dr. Nicole Johnson about work she has conducted in better understanding our higher ed course and program modalities, thus yep. the complexity, simplicity. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Nicole Johnson is the executive director of the Canadian Digital Learning Research Association. Mm-hmm. Nicole holds a PhD in e-learning from the Open University of Catalonia in Barcelona, Spain, and a Master of Educational Technology degree from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. With over 10 years working in the ed tech field, she has a diverse background that includes experience in health and fitness. K-12 education, post-secondary, entrepreneurship, and social media influencer marketing. She, her background is even more diverse than mine. I thought <laughs> mine was, was crazy. So, uh, Kelvin, is there anything you want to say about the interview with Dr. Johnson before we cut to it? 
Uh, I won't say much. I think it stands on its own, although we jump right into this modalities thing, right? Um, but it would probably be appropriate just to note that the most recent research that Nicole comments on is funded by WCET, and UCF is an institutional member of WCET, and I currently serve on the WCET steering committee. But, you know, we thought it was not just for that reason that we featured Dr. Johnson's work. We think it's really important for the field. Great. So through the magic of podcast time travel, here is your interview with Dr. Nicole Johnson. Hi, Nicole. So good to have you on TopCast today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I think you might be only our second Canadian interviewee. Oh, interesting. Well, that's very exciting then. Norm Vaughn was here previously. Oh, yes. I know Norm. He's wonderful. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Um, and so that's the stick that everyone's going to be measuring your performance against today. Let's see how energetic and uh, how fast you can possibly talk to measure up against the great Norm Vaughn. <laughs> those, are, those are big shoes to fill. We'll see how I do. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding about that. We, we won't, uh, you know, not, not, all, not all Canadians have the exact same expectation. It's, it's, all, it's all good. Um, but speaking of Canada, um, we wanted to talk about uh, a couple of different pieces that um, have come out of your shop up in Canada. Um, I guess maybe to set this up, there was a, I know when I saw it, there was a report that came out of your center that was Canadian focused in 2021. And then if I understand correctly, um, that has been sort of springboarded into a, a com companion um, US focused report. Is, is that right? You want to tell us a little bit about how we got there and what it is? Sure, yeah. Um, so what we've done, you're absolutely right. So in Canada in 2021, we released a report on definitions. And what drove that is we were working on tracking online enrollments at Canadian post-secondary institutions. And one of the biggest challenges we found, because we were getting a lot of inconsistencies in the data, both within institutions and among institutions. And as we dug deeper on that, we found that there weren't consistent definitions being used for online learning, um, for digital learning terms, remote learning. It, it was kind of hybrid learning, blended learning. Um, I, we, so what we did in 2021 with our survey is we actually took a step back and we asked institutions to just to tell us in a qualitative, open-ended question going, um, what is your definition of hybrid learning? What is your definition of online learning? What is your definition of remote learning? It came back with a whole variety and a whole range of definitions. And we took those definitions um, and we created a modes of learning um, spectrum where we had we basically it's a you know a gradient that moves from in-person learning uh to you know distance learning off you know off at the two extremes you would have in-person learning with no technology which would be incredibly rare in this day and age and at the other extreme you would have distance education um that's completely remote and it would also not use the internet so it might be mailed correspondence which would also be very rare in this day and age the messy middle 
between in-person technology supported and, you know, on, fully online courses with hybrid learning in the middle there is, is where most things are happening. And that's where there was confusion. So we took those definitions and we created our report. And then we used that report and the definitions we put forth to test. We wanted to test those in Canada and we had the opportunity to test them in the U.S. And that was the foundation for this current study. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, I, I, I love uh, a, a compelling visual, especially if it's in color. Um, and the modes of learning spectrum is sort of the, the standout gradient, as you, as you say, in that, uh, that earlier report. So spoiler alert in the U.S. focused work, are we going to see the modes of learning spectrum again? Or is there going to be a, like, daughter of modes of learning spectrum or second cousin twice removed of modes of learning spectrum? What are we going to get? You're absolutely going to see it again. And actually okay. we have the original one in the report and we have the second iteration of it. And one of the second things we've done in the second iteration is we've put the each of the modes of learning. So in-person learning, no technology, in-person learning, technology supported, hybrid learning, online learning and then you know off you know offline distance education um we put those all as big buckets and then in the revised version we put different variations in each of these buckets because when we did our um when we did our survey we found great agreement with like actually a surprising level of agreement with these big bucket terms which is one of the key findings of our study but we found that a lot of the variation and contention actually comes with different variations or different, you know, institutional versions of this. So we go by location and characteristics of the learning experience. So we would say that something like, um, you know, asynchronous online learning and synchronous online learning or a mix of synchronous and asynchronous all online learning, those would all be variations within the big bucket of online learning. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense to me. And um, I think I think that is probably a very good addition. Um, you know, I, I think about your your construct, this modes of learning spectrum, and I'm reminded of a, of a quote from our UCF colleague, Dr. Chuck Jubin, who for years in his evaluation work has said that um, in some of his categorization of, of, of evaluation work that what you, what you lose in specificity, you gain in reliability. Like, you know, you zoom out a little bit, right, to get, to get some buckets. So what you lose in specificity, you gain in reliability, and yet people want to be able to hang their hat on something, right? So those, those examples that sort of color and, and give um, uh, sort of traction to the buckets make complete sense to me. Yeah, and we found uh, we found that a lot of the feedback. So we've presented in advance of doing this survey. Um, this work has been presented to multiple groups, from government stakeholders to registrars, mostly in Canada, but in the U.S. as well, to get people's feedback on it to make sure we weren't completely off base in what we were doing. And one of the positive pieces of feedback that we had um, was that 
anything that people were doing at their institution still fit within this. So they didn't have to change their branded courses or the way they were calling things at their institution. Um, for us at the Canadian Digital Learning Research Association, when we're tracking and measuring things, it also allows us to say, okay, well, tell us what you're doing. You know, call it what you're going to call it. But now we can at least sort it on our end, um, but we don't expect you to change it. Um, one of the things too that I found is a lot of contention would be with like blended hybrid learning. And there, <laughs> you're laughing, <laughs> I can see, because we, we have people who will, you know, absolutely fight to the death that blended learning and hybrid learning are two very different things. And we have an equal number of people who will fight to the death that they are exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so we say in our spectrum that they are, you know, it, it's the characteristic. Does it have some sort of mix of online and in-person component? Mm -hmm. If the answer to that is yes, um, then it's hybrid and you can call it blended, you can call it whatever, but we're going to put it in this big bucket, you know, over here to classify it. Yeah, I was, uh, I was smirking uh, knowingly and nodding my head knowingly um, because I was contemplating whether I was going to pop the lid off of that can of worms and, and talk about it or not. I, but since you did, um, yeah, to me, yes, I, I think it's fascinating. The 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 less ambiguity is uh, is on the peripheral, you know, the one end or the other of the spectrum, and the closer you get to the middle, the messier it gets. Right. So that's fascinating. I appreciate some symmetry, um, but with the hybrid learning and in parentheses blended learning, one uh, kudos. I think you made the right call personally in saying online plus in person, right? So I think that's the right call. I think that. There's, there's people that would argue that point as well, right? Online synchronous plus online asynchronous. Some would like to see that as a form of blended learning. I see that as a form of online learning. I think I think you've justified that uh, correctly. The, the thing that I trip over a little bit, but I've worked really hard, Nicole, to get over, is the inclusion of the kind of dual mode, like you're in the classroom, right? And... Uh, meeting with a group of students and simultaneously uh, video casting out to uh, students who are watching in real time or via recording. If I'm not mistaken, uh, in your early report at least, that would fall into that hybrid learning bucket. And I understand why, because it's in person and online. I would just say it's a little qualitatively different than some of the, you know, online uh, happens whenever that happens, and then in person happens whenever that happens. But I'll get over it. Well, and you know what? That was one thing, you know, too, that came up as well is how do we address high flex? You know, we have it, and there's sort of there's different terms. Um, there, there are is a difference between what is called uh, multi-access learning, which um, you know Valerie Irvine coined that term, and then um, high flex learning coined by Brian Beatty. And the two terms that it's a very nuanced difference, but Beatty's definition of high flex uh, tends to be that it must, and I, and you know, if if I'm incorrect, please I, I invite anyone to correct me on this, um, but that it is it must contain the elements of um, an in-person option, an 
a synchronous online option and an asynchronous um, online option. So those three elements must be there and it must be at, you know, student directed, not instructor prescribed how they go about that. Whereas uh, uh, Valerie Irvine's multi-access allows for what you had referred to before, which would be multi-access online, where you could actually have the choice between synchronous and asynchronous online, or you could have multi-access hybrid, which HyFlex would technically fall into as a variation of that. So we've addressed that in those variations. But one of the things we did address is that hybrid actually could include variations that are instructor prescribed, where the instructor says, you know, Monday and Wednesday, you are showing up in the classroom. And then Thursday, you know, we are meeting online synchronously on Zoom, or you have these components that need to be done, you know, in advance online, there's some requirement for both, or it could be student led in which the student has the option um, to flip between, um, you know, with like a high flex situation or a multi-axis situation where they can just wake up in the morning and say, oh, actually, I'm going to go down to campus today and I'm going to sit in the classroom or, you know what, no, uh, I'm going to be you know, live streaming from my house, but it's student-led. And um, both do have th- that um, that hybrid, but they're different variations of hybrid. The one caution, and we found this in the disagreement, the analysis of disagreement with the HyFlex, um, is that there still seems to be a misconception out there. We do see some institutions thinking that, well, the student can have the option of picking an online section or an in-person section of the same course, but then they have to stick with that section. And we would say, no, then that isn't, that is not hybrid or high flex. That's just having an online section of a course and an in-person section of a course. Yeah, that's right. Now that that makes sense. You know, it it occurs to me that uh, we've both been zoomed in and geeking out a little bit about um, these modality definitional buckets, and I think this is really important work. But you know, I should probably zoom way out and just ask you from where you sit. Why is this so important? I have my opinions, and I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. Some people are probably tired of hearing me talk about it. So why do you think clarifying modalities is important at this point? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because we do hear, you know, the disputes in the scholarly community going, well, learning is learning no matter what we are, you know, where we are. And then we've got some philosophical opinions is like, you are always learning in person because you are always within your own body wherever you are. And we're going, okay. Um, But when we actually take it down to a practical level, and that's what makes this study unique in the fact that this is actually asking, you know, frontline faculty administrators, this isn't asking the ed tech community for philosophical or scholarly opinions on this. This is asking, how do you define what's going on the ground? And we know that having these clear common definitions, as frustrating as it may be to have to pin it down, is really important for communicating to students uh, what they can expect, um, especially now that students want to know what they're signing up for. What is the expectation of them? Do they have to be driving out to campus or, you know, can they live, you know, two hours from campus and do all their stuff remotely through choice? Um, It's also really important for on the research side. 
uh, for us to be able to collaborate as researchers, we need to have a, a shared understanding. You know, when I speak to you and I say, you know, I've, I've found this with online learning and you in your mind are holding a completely different definition of online learning than me. Like you're thinking, well, online learning can only be asynchronous learning. And in my head, I'm thinking it's something completely different. Or if one person's holding, well, you know, online can have an in-person component if it's a percentage of it, right? We've got different, we need that so that we can all be sure that we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, no, that's great. And I might add one, one additional uh, example there, just even from a leadership and institutional data standpoint, right? It's hard to know how you're doing if you can't count and track and compare intervention A versus intervention B, right? Like, okay, what's the efficacy of this? What's the efficacy of that? And uh, the, the, the more, the, the more uh, heterogeneous the bucket, the, 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 the harder it's going to be to pin down those specifics, right? Yeah, is there, I think it's, is it Drucker, you might, they think it's Drucker that you said that you can't, ma um, you can't manage what you can't measure. And I hope I'm quoting the right person on that. But I think that that's a key thing. And that's where this really did start for us in Canada was being able to track growth in online enrollments over time and the challenges with not having common definitions, um, both, you know, amongst institutions, uh, but within institutions. And in Canada, we have an extra layer of complexity because we don't have um, our higher education system and our education system in general is uh, provincially mandated. So we don't actually have a federal, um, you know, a fe federal governing body that keeps it together. So different provinces also do things differently. Yeah, I mean, that that's challenging. <laughs> that, that, that is that is that is that is challenging. Um, well, as we begin to wrap up, I wonder. Uh, yeah, I was I was intrigued. I don't want to take you too far down a rabbit trail, but you you painted a picture for us of being in these like in these presentations and these spinoff contentious um, discussions that have resulted. So, in the midst of all of that dialogue with with passionate colleagues as you're being listened to right now by a wide range of uh, faculty and instructional designers and administrative leaders, if, if you had one little piece of advice related to this whole modality topic, like you could say anything you want to, Learn, like if you would just do this, I'd be happy. Wh whatever it is, <laughs> any, any piece of parting advice that you would give? Yeah, I, um, I guess, I would say I would say two two things. One, um, I think that opinions are fantastic because it means everybody cares. Like people really do care about this, and this matters, which tells us, you know, a wonderful thing. But then I would say the other piece would be um, keep it simple. <laughs> like it's the, you know, when we're talking to people on the ground, we're talking to people, especially, and and I come from as someone who has been in the ed tech community for over a decade. Sometimes it's easy to get overly philosophical about these things and almost, um, you know, the how many angels can fit on a head of a pin uh, discussions when trying to say, well, this should be like this and it should be like that. And we should because of these philosophical and theoretical underpinnings. And I would say I'm not saying that those aren't important. And I think in our early days they were. 
but we are moving to a stage where we need to be able to have practical on the ground, easy to understand strategy that can be widely understood by not just by faculty, but actually by students who may not even be familiar with our big bucket terms. Um, so we kind of do have to scale it down and the, the more simple we can keep it, I think will actually be very advantageous in the long term. Well, that that is a helpful rudder-like chastening advice. I know I can certainly veer into the philosophical and into the, the fine grain, but I think that's really good advice. So I just want to say thanks uh, on behalf of uh, Tom, who will join us in the wraparound, uh, and myself. It's been great having, uh, as, as U.S. people here at UCF, uh, having one of our neighbors to the north on. You know, we need to up our quota of Canadians featured on Topcast. So we'll have to have you back. We'll, we'll, you know, there's at least there's at least two or three more Canadians probably uh, in your country. Uh, so we could have them on too. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I can. I think I can speak on behalf of a number of Canadian colleagues and myself that I would love to be back, and I know that many of them would love to be on here as well. So, Kelvin, that was your interview with Dr. Nicole Johnson. It was, I thought, a really interesting conversation. Yeah, Nicole's great, right? I mean, uh, just, uh, I, th I think she has a lot to, to offer in our field, and I, I think this is really good work, and look forward to additional work that follows up from this. Yeah, I related really hard to that conversation because of, you know, how often I am confronted here with having to you know, not my on my own, but sort of lead the modality updates mm -hmm. and definitions and deal with state reporting for yep. our state university system, board of governors, data tracking and, you know, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And we just did go through, we talked about this on the podcast, we did just go through a round of that post pandemic mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. coming out of emergency remote and trying to capture some of those practices within our existing definitions without overcomplicating it, without having a separate definition for every possible little nuance. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we went with this idea of broad definitions and attributes mm -hmm. that further define them, which has added its own level of complexity as we have found. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. And and shout out to the show notes. We don't always make a big deal of it, but in the show notes for this episode, we will have the original study from 2021 that we reference in the interview, as well as the new uh, 2022 American uh, focus study, and the, the series of infographics that WCET has put out that kind of captures these salient points. And uh, on that note, Tom, like. One of the nuances in Florida that, that you kind of reference obliquely is the fact that technically uh, to be considered a, a distance course in Florida by statute, it's 80% or more online. And that was some of the nuance that Nicole obliquely referred to and that's definitely in both research reports that sometimes there's some disagreement. Like folks generally get what online is, but some people get real precise. They're like, well, it could be... 80% or more, as opposed to the definitional, you know, kind of offering is, it's completely online. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, well, it's like when I get asked, how many online students do you have? It's like, well, what do well, you mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Students who take one online class or all or you know, right. student credit hours, FTE, yeah. well, headcount, what, you know, yeah. what is it? Um, right. And so, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Um, this whole, but the 80% definition is really around the, uh, the distance learning fee here yep. in Florida. That's right. And, you know, what, what would justify actually charging that fee. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one thing she said that that made me go, hmm, was, um, you know, her spectrum, which I thought was useful. Yeah. <clears throat> We've talked about things like that before. Mm -hmm. um, Joel Hartman had first introduced me to the idea of this spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, but on the far end of distance, she had basically correspondence school. Yeah, yeah. And I don't ever think about that, no, you know? Right. And That's I thought, right. oh, you know, she's, She's probably right. It's still out yeah. there, I guess, yeah. in some mm -hmm. forms and fashion. I know in some mm -hmm. cases the military will still sometimes do some of that, where you get a packet and you submerge for three months <laughs> and you work on stuff. And then when you surface, you sink yeah. it all up. Yeah. So. No, that's right. And I, I think for, for, for clarity purposes, right, for, for um, illustration and for, you know, contrast. Uh, I think it is important to consider both endpoints on the on the spectrum. And I think uh, probably, if I remember correctly, uh, my distance learning graduate work, uh, I think Canada probably has a, a bit more of a rich traditional distance education history than even the U.S. does. I, I would imagine, as much as Nicole said that there's, it's rare, I imagine if it's anywhere, it's probably in some of the historic um, practices in some of the Canadian provinces. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I mean, Athabasca's got a long history of distance learning. And, yep. you know, yep. first MOOC came out of Canada. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that's right. So I don't know, anything else you want to you wanna touch on before we, um, before we land the plane? Um, maybe just this, because I, you know, as much as I'm going to try to get over it, I, I, I really, you know, I, I will just make this one comment, right? As much as I think there's great clarity to be found in the spectrum um, and getting on the same page, I think innovations in blended or hybrid learning are still going to require more precisely zoomed in um, definitions and framing on the nature of blended or hybrid course designs and their efficacy. Um, and shout out, right, to uh, Dr. Chuck Jubin, Dr. Charles Graham, Dr. Tony Picciano, and Dr. Patsy Moskal for their work in blended learning research. They got three volumes, or at yeah. least the first three have uh, three volumes, and Patsy joined on the third volume of books on this very topic. It's, it's a Tolkien kind of <laughs> trilogy, <laughs> uh, epic, um, but very, very useful. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny. I'll, I'll make a comment, too, that this idea of blended and hybrid most often is where I encounter assumptions yep. about, well, everybody knows hybrid is you can come and go however you want. Like, really? Or, you know, everybody knows blended is, you know, putting your lectures online and coming to class to do your discussions. Like, yeah. Huh. You know, no, I thought that was flipped. <laughs> you know, right. so like there's an awful lot of people who are just positive they know what these mm -hmm, things mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and they're mm -hmm. all using the same terms, which yep. it makes, I think, Nicole's work that much more valuable to try yes. to put some universal definitions on this. Yes. Yeah. No, agreed. Well, you want to try to wrap us up there, Dr. Kavanaugh? Sure. So 
you know, clarity is um, is important, and especially clarity around modality definitions um, has um, particular practical utility in our field. Mm-hmm. This clarity helps students know what to expect in the courses for which they are registering. Which is, I'm always been advocating for students in this, mm-hmm. and this clarity also helps administrative leaders and instructional designers and researchers move the field forward. I'll also add faculty so that they know what the expectations are for them as they as they are teaching these courses so clarity is in all ways a good thing yeah yeah agreed absolutely cool so uh thank you kelvin for the coffee connection even though i didn't get a chance to drink it today thank you to dr nicole johnson for joining us Mm -hmm. until next time for topcast i'm tom i'm kelvin see ya